Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Praise. What you do, speak so loud I can't hear what you say. I think perhaps that would be the basic theme that we ought to look at this evening to be sure that that which we do indeed speaks that which we are saying so that our doing and our speaking correspond and actually say the same thing. We talk about faith But I think we could say that true faith demands something. True faith demands true living. All throughout the history of the early church, we find in Acts and in some of Paul's writings references to the fact that uh, they were known by the way they lived more than by what they said. They were put in prison not nearly so much for what they said or what they preached as as for what they actually lived. So we're talking basically about a standard of living. I think I preached a sermon several months ago on that title. There is a standard of living for the Christian. The problem is that most of us are not quite sure what that standard is, and probably we're not living as close to it as we ought. The writer of of Titus, let me go to that here real quick if I can find it. In Titus, which is right back before Hebrews, Titus chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 say something I think that's very important. Titus says, In all things show thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Now there are two or three things in those verses that are important. He begins in saying, in all things show yourself, have a pattern about your life, a pattern of good living. Now, we all know that everybody does not have a pattern. Some people you can predict, and some people you can't predict at all. We ought to be predictable. That that which we say with our mouth will be exactly what we do in our life. So that there is no question that if it is preached by the church and taught by the church, it will be lived by the people of the church. Now that is, that is important for us to understand, that we are expected by the Lord 
and by the commandments of the scripture, and we are expected by society in general, if you please, we are expected to be predictable, to have a pattern of what? Notice, of good works, to have a pattern of good works, have a pattern of doctrine, know what we believe and why we believe it. Many of us have it pretty well down pat. Those who are younger Christians are still working at this coming to a decision about what we believe, and that will grow as time goes along. But we need to know what we believe. We need to be grave. We need to be sincere. And verse 8 says that we need to have sound speech. For what reason? Notice what he says. So that we cannot be condemned. And if I might... uh, put my own little phrase in there, so that we might not be condemned by what we say and what we do. If we can be condemned by what we say and do, we are not practicing what we preach. This was the thing that the people in the Old Testament found out about Daniel when they tried to catch him up in the way he lived, so that he would fall out of favor with the king, they concluded, we can't find anything wrong with the way he's living. So we're going to have to uh, devise a manner whereby we can catch him up in his religion. And so you remember that they devised the plan that, that uh, the king would order everybody to bow the knee and worship the king. And Daniel refused to do it, and as was his custom, his pattern of living, he opened his window facing Jerusalem, and he prayed, as he had always prayed. They could predict that he was going to do that, for that was his pattern of living. And his condemnation was that he was faithful to his God. Listen, that's a good condemnation. That's the kind of condemnation that ought to be brought against you and me that we would be condemned for our faithfulness in our belief and our faithfulness in our action day by day. The conclusion that verse 8 there in Titus, having no evil thing to say against you, by whom? By those who are contrary. You see that word? There are people who are argumentative. There are people who will try to pick the church apart. And I guarantee you this church is picked apart. Every church is. Not only is the church uh, under the scrutiny of people who are, are contrary and who are argumentative, so are each of us as Christian people. I know that I'm picked apart. You folk do it every week. That's okay. <laughs> Just go right ahead. Uh, you, I hope you don't find too many weaknesses, but you're going to find them. We're all picked apart by people who are trying to discover some weakness, some frailty somewhere. Be assured that you're under the spotlight by society. Be assured that people you work with will try to break you down. Be assured that the sinner will try to find something wrong so that he can point and say, well, look at him, look at her, I don't do that. Be assured that the church will be ridiculed and criticized because there are people who are contrary, who want to tear down 
because it makes them look better if somebody comes down instead of if they come up, which they don't want to do. So, we are faced with the problem of living in such a way that as they put us under the microscope or under the spotlight, they cannot find those things that are wrong in our lives that would detract from our doctrine. Therefore, what we say ought to be that which is practiced in our lives. But the fact is that that does not always happen. And many people are actually hypocritic. The word has been abused and misused over the years. A hypocrite is simply one who says something different than what he does. That's all a hypocrite is. And so we can have them in everything, everywhere. A philosopher by the name of Bertrand Russell, Russell wrote an essay. The title of his essay was, Why I Am Not a Christian. I want you to listen to one paragraph of his essay. He says, I think there are many good points upon which I agree with Christ, a greater deal more than most professing Christians. I do not know that I can go all the way with him, but I can go further with him than most professing Christians can. That's a terrible indictment for a sinner to say, I can go further with Christ than most professing Christians. Now, I don't believe that, first of all. I would take issue with his statement but I would have to acknowledge that he probably is true if he would have used some professing Christians instead of most. Yes, indeed. There are professing Christians that don't go very far with the Lord, who stop far short of letting their lives illustrate, illustrate that which they say they believe. And church history and world history is full of people who have been the very opposite of that which the scripture teaches we as Christian people ought to be. We know that there are people in the church who are mean and who are prejudiced and who are immoral. We know that. We would not as a church in any way, shape, or form ever think, I hope, of hiding the sins of the people of the church. The Bible doesn't hide the sins of the people of the Bible. David's sins were pointed out very plain. And all of the others of the scripture, there was no endeavor to cover up and, and keep from public knowledge those things that were wrong in one's life. And we're not going to cover up the sins of the church or the sins of the people of the church. They're certainly there. This is a, this is a fact of life. But it ought to be our effort to overcome those weaknesses and to seek the forgiveness of those sins that we might come out practicing what we preach. But until we're willing to face that problem, then we may not really get it accomplished. Someone said they only read, uh, well, let me say it another way, they read us more than they read the Bible. And I think that's true. Christian people are read, not the Bible. Our lives are looked at and scrutinized and criticized, not the Bible so much. 
because it doesn't get opened. But let me tell you, our lives get opened. Our lives get opened. And that's what causes the problems that our church has is when there are people in the church whose lives do not reflect what the church preaches. This becomes the problem. Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, Let your light shine before men. Now look, now tear that apart just a bit. What is he saying? Let our life be open. Let that which we say be reflected in that which we do, that our light will shine before men. But for what purpose? That they may see your good works. Fine. But he didn't stop there. But he said, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's the purpose of what we do. It is not to benefit me or to benefit you that we are to live a good life. We are to live a life in the presence of all people that will glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. When we live that kind of life and resist sin and resist those things that are contrary to the scripture, then we will discover that we are beginning to walk in the same path that we preach. The two somewhere must come together. The scripture says that the people took note that the disciples had been with Jesus. It was obvious that, he, that they had been with him. Do people recognize that we have been with the Lord? Now let me tell you, I believe sincerely that I have seen some of you go out of this church on some Sunday morning or night, and there would be no question in anybody's mind in this world that you had been with Jesus. Because you looked like it. You were radiant. There was a spirit about you that was different than what society is accustomed to. I believe that. I believe that sometimes we're nearly like Moses when he came back down off of the mountain from receiving the Ten Commandments. And they said that his face shone. There was a radiance about him. And it shone for a long time. And do you know that late on in his life, uh, when he had not been quite as faithful as he ought to, that he covered his face with a veil so that people would not see the shrinking of the radiance that was around him. That was an indictment against Moses, that he actually was attempting to cover up so that people would not know that he had lost the radiance. We are to let our light so shine for men, that they would see it is obvious what kind of a person we are. What we believe is important, our doctrine is important. Listen, 
What we live is paramount. It's paramount. All right, I think there are three things that Titus says that I want to quickly call your attention to. The first one is in the first verse. Sorry, not Titus Hebrews. I'm still looking at Titus. I want to go back to Hebrews 13. The first verse, Hebrews 13, he says, Let brotherly love continue. Now that's a very short verse of four words. The Greek for brotherly love, you know the Greek for love, one of the Greek words for love is philo, P-H-I-L-O. And the word for brother is adelphos. And so if we put the two words together, we have philo adelphos or philadelphia, from which we get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It literally means out of the same womb. So literally brothers. Now, he is talking in terms not of brother to brother of a family, but brother to brother or sister to sister in the congregation of the church. And that simply means then that we have had the same birth. We came into the kingdom of God by the same way. And this verse, I think, definitely points out the fact that many other verses do as well, and perhaps better, that there is only one way into the kingdom of God, and that is by birth. By a spiritual birth. We have come into the kingdom of God through the same birth channel. That's what brotherly love means. Now the word continue. Let brotherly love continue. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verses 9 and 10 says this. But as touching Brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Did you notice what it says there? We can't teach brotherly love. We don't have any need to. Why? Because God himself teaches us to love each other. One of the things that is amazingly discovered when a person becomes a Christian is that he loves other Christians. This has been testified to by the the young Christians that are in our congregation in the last few weeks. When they amazingly discovered something, It hasn't been taught. 
but there it is. How come we love each other? Why do we do it? Because it comes from our heart. And why does it come from our heart? Because God's in our heart and the person's the Holy Spirit. His job there to teach us. God teaches us himself about loving each other. Did you know that? That's how come we can love. I'm going to have to quit saying how come. That's poor English. I've got in that habit. Somebody slap more wrist someday for doing it. All right. There are three things about brotherly love that I think are important, and I'll say them quickly. Number one, brotherly love reveals our true identity. Now listen to, to the verse I'm going to read to you, John 13, 35. If you love your brethren, you have revealed your true identity, because this is what the verse says. By this... That is, by loving your brother, shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Do you want to know whether you are a Christian? Then ask yourself, do you love the brother? By this you will know that you've passed from death unto life, that you're my disciple, if you have love one for another. The second point that we can make is... There is proof of our salvation in loving our brother. Proof. 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brother. All right, third point. Loving our brethren delights God. Psalm 133.1 says this, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. That's delightful to God. First John chapter 3. A couple of verses. Three. First John 3, 18 and 19. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Look at that again. Let us not love in word. Let us not love in just what we say. But let us love by what we do, by our deeds. That is evidence of love. Can't help but reflect on Barry's comment in this morning's Sunday school class when he was disturbed because he missed last Wednesday night where he stopped to help a person along the road that had a flat tire and could not make it. And he was disturbed that he did not get to come to church. And he asked this very question, and we pointed out in our discussion that indeed what he had done was probably more important than had he been in church. 
he would have benefited from being in church, but someone else benefited from his act on that given point in time. All right, let's look at the second verse of uh, Hebrews chapter 13. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. Galatians 5.13 says, Seek that which is good for one another and for all men. Seek that which is good for others. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.